I've got the message that goes right along with that as we leave here this message will go home with you I simply want to entitle it a half filled glass a half filled glass notice how I've worded it what do you see is it a glass half empty or is it half full every day we're presented with that glass every day you go to work you see it you go home you see it you go to the ball field you see it pull out the checkbook you see it half filled glass one person sees it half empty one sees it half full marriages are created with people looking at it different brings up great conversations to the person who is as we would label pessimistic along with that fear can attach itself and when fear has its stronghold then it paralyzes with that then you can't move you're afraid to move well I, and then if you're not careful well I'll just hoard it. I'll just keep it right where it is. Can't use any more of it because I at least want half. And then there are those who sees it half full. And with that, simply the thought crosses their mind, well, if it got to that level, then it can keep growing. If it got to that level, somebody supplied it. And there's got to be more where it came from. It's one thing, of course, to be in church and look at that, but what about Monday morning? And what about Thursday afternoon? And what about Saturday morning? Every day we're, we see a half-filled glass. I want you to turn with me to Numbers 13. Numbers 13, before you stand to read, this a lot's been going on for this group. We call them the children of Israel. This is the group that through the generations have a combined 400 years of slavery to Egypt. And it's been a full year now since they've been delivered. A full year. They no longer in Egypt, they are now in the Negev. They are in a place called the wilderness. They've been there for a year. They're not that far removed from incredible miracles. They're not that far removed from crossing a body of water called the Red Sea, where they not only crossed it, but it was dry ground they were walking on, kicking up dust, choking them. It wasn't that long ago that they witnessed the rumblings on the mountain, God speaking and shaking them. It wasn't that long ago that they also remember, of course, the superpower of the world, Egypt, being in the grasp of God Almighty 
and these plagues that came upon Egypt and protected Israel. A year has lapsed, and in that year they have been preparing for a place called the Promised Land. For a year, they have been preparing and got instructions to build a tent called a tabernacle. The presence of God has frequented them many times. They have watched the glory of God rest upon that tabernacle. In this year, they've received the law, and, and not only the law, and now they've built the tabernacle, they've built the furnishings. The feasts are established. In this year, a lot's been going on. There's been a priesthood established. All these things out there in the, the Gev, a place called the desert. And now, can you hear the stir among the people when this one says, did you get the email? What about the text? No, I still like the newspaper. We're getting ready to move. The promised land has been promised to us. It's not that far away. We're supposed to hear something from the commander. And sure enough, now, boy, it didn't take long for Moses to say, okay, I'm going to pull one man from each tribe, a total of 12, and you're going to go in, you're going to spy out that land. Boy, it didn't take long just to ricochet through the congregation, the audience, the people, the nation. It's happening. It's really happening. That glass half filled. Wow. I wonder what it's really going to be like. And now they know that these men have gone into that place called the promised land. And they come back and the people see them carrying upon their shoulders evidence of that promised land. A branch a cluster of grapes. It's like, oh, man, that looks like a red light Krispy Kreme donut right now. Whoa, man. I'm so tired of manna that, oh, wow. Somebody else may say, no, that looks like the best ice cream I could ever imagine. Can I hear an amen, Sister Langdon? That woman eats ice cream every night. She not only eats it, she devours it. <laughs> oh, I don't want that. I can't eat all, all out. I can't, I can't eat all that. <laughs> I got the pulpit now. And they come back with evidence. And these guys are going to give a report. Stand with me as we read the report. Hebrews 13, 25, I'm going to read through part of verse 28. I'm sorry, what did I say? That was just a test, everybody. You really did good. I am so proud of you. <laughs> Somebody said I was full of it. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron 
and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Verse 28, the first word. However. However. You may be seated. <laughs> However. Carla Northcutt was a member of this congregation for many years and very educated woman, helped me. And many of us, when we're talking about something, will describe something and then we'll use the word but. You know, I really enjoy that trip, but, and then we finish the sentence. And she taught me that that word is so obtrusive and it's called the butt brush. Because whatever you said prior to, as soon as you say but, you just erase everything you just said and getting prepared for what's being said now. So I've learned to say the word, however, but that however or a but, you knew something else was going to come. And they begin to give the report of the glass half empty. They've just presented it as half full. This is the evidence. We've been there. It's, it's, it's a real place. And, and it doesn't look like this desert. There are trees up there on them thar hills. And there's fruit growing on those trees. And here's the evidence. However, here's what's interesting to me. I believe you'll find interesting. The description of this book, we're so used to calling it Numbers. In the Greek and Latin versions of the Bible we now have in the English, it says numbers, but not in the Hebrew. The Hebrew doesn't use the word numbers. The word numbers was used in translation because in chapter 1, as it's broken down for us today, and chapter 26, there's a census that has been taken. They have numbered the men who are capable of going to war. Wow. So that's why we get the rendering of numbers. We've numbered how many men can go to war. Wait a minute. We're going to the promised land. Yeah, however, there's people there. And these guys are going to give a report of how strong the people or how weak the people are that's already in the land. So we have to number how many that we have that can contend for our position because they're there, but God says it's ours. Wow. The Hebrew doesn't use the rendering numbers to describe this book. This is of the law, Moses' law. We call it, again, the Greek term Pentateuch. But in the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Old Testament, same as ours, the first five books are called the Torah. And in the Torah, they don't use the word numbers. It's described this way, in the desert. Yeah, that's an eye-opener. This is written in a time that we're not in the promised land yet. Whoo, come on, that ought to speak to somebody. 
How many knows we're weary pilgrims and sojourners in a weary land? We are aliens here. We're just passing through the wilderness because there's still yet a promised land that we know is there. We've seen enough evidence, but we're not there yet. So as long as we're here now, we're going to have those howevers. That half-filled glass is before us every day. The message of the book of Numbers or in the desert is simply this. We make progress only when we depend upon God and his word. If we don't trust in his word, we don't move. Or we go backward. Or we regress. The only time we progress as a people, as individuals, as families, is when we are depending on God and his power. Trusting in his promises. So much trusting in his promises that we actually obey his word. There's a great old song that comes to us from yesteryear. How many recognizes the title, Trust and Obey? For the younger ones, you probably don't recognize it. It was written in 1887. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That was written by a man by the name of Daniel Towner. Daniel Towner had a Christian father who involved himself in ministry and involved himself in music, and it marked young Daniel. Daniel wanted to be, in today's wording, a worship leader, a minister of music. Music was a big part of his life. and So finally, as he got of age, he, he began leading worship in a congregation in New York State. He would then travel to the state of Ohio and Kentucky. This is an anointed message today. I've said Ohio twice. So as he progressed, finally the renowned D.L. Moody heard of him and asked him to join his ministry. And Daniel would travel with Moody in his crusades. And finally, finally this song comes from an experience where they were in church together in a city in Massachusetts. And it was just testimony time. And a young man got up and said, quote, I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm going to trust and obey. That struck a chord in Daniel's heart and he wrote it down. As he kept it in his Bible for some time, he got with a Presbyterian minister, J.H. Samus, and said, would you, would you take this statement along with the story I'm sharing with you and make a poem out of it? A lot of our songs today came from poems. And so Reverend Samus did just that for him. And finally doing what Daniel did then, he got the words of the poem And he's home, and he's at the piano, and he's doing melody charts and lines there and putting it all together, and he found himself very discouraged. So much so that he just 
wadded it up and threw it in the trash can. His wife came through the next day and was cleaning the office for her husband and looked in the trash can and saw that wadded up piece of paper. Probably had done that in the past. And she opened it up and crumpled it. She went to the piano and she got singing the melody and the words. So she folded it, unfolded it, and really got it as smooth as she could, put it, and she went to her husband and whispered in his ear, I think you've got the right melody for the words. Look at it again. And we still have trust and obey today. But isn't it amazing, even writing something with the wording that still speaks to generations later, he got discouraged in the process. You know what he found out? There was a however. Half-filled glass. Is it empty? Half-empty? Is it half-full? What about my kids? What about my marriage? What about this new business venture? What about going to the doctor tomorrow? What about going to the attorney's office? What about I'm getting close to retirement? Can I, can I survive in my retirement years? However, 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 Facing these howevers constantly. Well, for these guys, they came back with a bad report, didn't they? They came back with evidence of a glass that's half-filled. We found the land. It's not a myth. It's real. Here is evidence of it. However, the people there are strong. The people there outnumber us. And to top it all off, the descendants, the relations of Anak are there. Anybody recognize Anak, the father of Goliath? There's not just one giant in that land. There are several. This is why David took five stones that day to the Valley of Elah. If the whole group of them showed up, he was ready to trust his God. Woo, come on, somebody. On that day, it just took one stone. And it wasn't just a coincidence. He was well-trained with that weapon. I'll just take the sword of big boy and just cut his head off. You see, they weren't that far removed from these stories. However, there are more giants. However, these are giants facing us, not David. However, there are fortified structures there. They're not just cities. And somebody else in the back of the crowd, remind them there's more of them than us. You see, we face our own challenges every day, don't we? We face obstacles every day. There's always the howevers. There's always this, but there's always that. And we come back, can I trust? The only way I can progress is to trust God. Is that such a shallow word? Is that such a simpleton word? Well, children, they just trust, but I'm an adult. Well, then maybe we need to become childlike 
again. You know, as children, not maybe not every child can say this, but enough of us can say when we got a little age on us and something was going on, we just needed to find dad. And if somebody threatened us at the pay- playground, what did we say? Wait till I tell my dad on you. I'm here to tell you today we have an Abba father. You see, the challenge is it's what's in front of us in the moment that gets us messed up most of the time. Every one of us has fallen short. Every one of us has failed at that. For these men, they forgot what God had already done in the past and how faithful he was. It wasn't that God was good enough to get eight out of the ten plagues, right? He was ten for ten. Faithful to his word and to execute it. For us, it is in those moments of howevers that we must say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, uh, I got to regroup. Has my God supplied all my needs up till now? Is he a way maker? Is he my way maker? Is he my God? He has met every crisis with his answer. I don't know how he's going to do it this time. And it may not be in the calendar of time that I want. It may not be according to my watch. It may not be to my opinion. Oh, come on, somebody. But I know he's faithful. I know his character. I'm going to trust him. You may be like that young man in Matthew. I don't quite know yet. I'm not sure yet. But I'm going to trust anyhow. And I'm going to obey. We all face these things in our life, so it comes back to that glass half-filled. What kind of vision? Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there is no conscious awareness is one rendering, the people perish. Another version says, Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. If in that moment of however, in that moment of facing a giant, if in that moment of facing a fortified structure we've come across or being outnumbered, if in that moment we can just but remember, I'm going to hold on to his law to his word, and I'm going to trust it. What shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? But we cast off restraint if we lose the vision. Well, I just emotionally, how many understands that we're living in a time of feelings? Feelings are incredible. There's some good feelings. There's some good feelings like eating ice cream at night, isn't there? I got two amens out of her today. 
There's some great, incredible feelings when you're with that special someone. Do I need to help you more? There's also those feelings that will deceive you. Cast off restraint. Well, there's no vision people perish. Stand with me today.